Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. The 2023 New York State Legislative Session has ended mostly with finger-pointing between Governor Kathy Hochul and lawmakers over the failure of a housing compact and passage of one criminal justice change to seal some criminal records to give some people convicted of crimes a second chance to restart their lives. More now from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. An ambitious housing plan proposed by Governor Hochul in her state budget failed when suburban lawmakers objected to a provision that would override local zoning laws in some cases. In the final days of the session, Democrats in the Senate and Assembly crafted a compromise package. It would have revived an expired tax credit for developers who include some affordable housing in their building projects, help convert unused office space into homes, and include tenant protections known as the good cause eviction measure. This time, it was Hochul who rejected the plan. Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie and Senate Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins issued a joint statement. They blamed the governor for the failure and said that all three chambers need to redouble their efforts. Hochul, through a spokesperson, shot back, saying the Assembly and Senate dropped the ball during the budget process and that lawmakers were now blaming the governor for their own failure to act. Hochul, who kept away from Albany in the final days of the session, tried to rally support for her proposals in a speech before a real estate group in New York City. I need an army with me, and that's why I'm calling on all of you. What I'm calling you to do as we leave this room here today, work with us, help us find the messaging to get to the legislators and to the communities to let them understand we have to start building, because otherwise... Our young people are going to keep leaving. The governor and lawmakers did agree on one significant criminal justice policy change. Records for some criminal offenses will be sealed after a person convicted of a crime has served their time. Senate sponsor Zelnor Myrie, speaking during debate on the Senate floor, says the measure, known as Clean Slate, will open up economic opportunities that will benefit everyone. Clean Slate is a jobs bill, it's an education bill, It is a housing bill. It is the right thing to do. And I am so proud to vote in the affirmative. Someone convicted of a misdemeanor would have to wait for three years before applying to get their record sealed. For felony convictions, they'd have to wait eight years. And not all crimes are eligible. Not included are Class A felonies that are punished by a sentence of life in prison. And any conviction that results in the person having to register as a sex offender are also excluded. Opponents include minority party Republicans who voted against the measure, saying it has good intentions but goes too far. Senator Anthony Palumbo, the ranking member on the Senate Judiciary Committee, says crime victims that he's spoken to are angry. Their questions to me is, what are you guys thinking up there? Why is it all about the criminals? What about us? Clean Slate was the only criminal justice measure to pass. Measures including elder parole, which would give older prisoners an opportunity to ask the parole board for early release, did not win approval. 
The Senate and Assembly also created a new nine-member commission that will consider reparations from the negative effects of slavery. New York becomes the second state after California to create such an entity. And lawmakers also approved an updated version of a measure to define how families of victims of wrongful deaths can be awarded damages in civil court after Hochul earlier this year vetoed a previous bill. I move to adjourn to a date and time at the call of the temporary president of the Senate. While the Senate wrapped up around 3 a.m. Saturday morning, the Assembly did not get through all of its agenda before adjourning on Saturday afternoon. Unfinished business includes a tentative gaming compact with the Seneca Indian Nation. A spokesman for the Assembly says members have been told to prepare to return to the Capitol later this month. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. William Barclay is a Republican and the minority leader of the State Assembly. We had a wide-ranging conversation this week about the legislative session in Albany so far, and I began by asking him what he expects his chamber to vote on in their special session next week. Yes, first of all, there's a lot of stuff that wasn't done. Uh, I think most of the major issues, a clean slate, some of the election law changes, uh, that reparation commission, that's all been passed through. But I think we have a substantial amount of local laws. And local laws are bills that affect each legislator's local district that still needs state approval. So that's something we have to get passed. The other big thing I think is still out there is the Seneca Indian Compact, which we have to give the governor the ability to negotiate with the Seneca Indians over casino revenue and possible expansion of the casino. So that would be probably the most, I don't know if you call it controversial, but the most, probably the biggest issue on the table when we come back. All right. Well, let's take up each of those that you mentioned first. Let's talk about clean slate legislation. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has not yet said whether she will sign a measure that will seal some criminal records after a person convicted of a crime has served their time. The bill has been proposed for several years and was passed by the Democratic-led state legislature. And in Buffalo on Monday, the governor said the measure is closer to what she had asked for before. So first, Assembly Minority Leader Will Barkley, do you support clean slate? And what's your sense of whether the governor will sign it? or not? Well, I thought they, I'm pleased to hear the governor is noncommittal on that at that point, at this point, because I thought there was an agreement between the legislature and the governor. So I hope maybe uh, what was passed wasn't actually agreed upon uh, bill because I'd like to see her uh, veto it. Uh, I don't have any problems. I don't think anyone in the Republican conference in the assembly has a problem giving second chances, but as we often do in Albany, as we take things too far, and albeit this piece of legislation that was passed is not bad, as bad as some of the earlier proposals, which they gave a clean slate for any criminal convictions, including uh, A1 felonies, uh, which you know include murder, which seemed a bit extreme to me. But I still think it's too expansive. And it's all it's one thing to get people second chances, another thing about uh, to provide public safety. And I think there's certain categories of crime that. Uh, 
the public has a right to know. And you know, the great example I always use is if someone has a DWI and they're applying, or multiple DWIs, and they're applying for, uh, you know, to be a bus driver or to be involved in transportation, I think the employer should be able to do, find that out uh, within a background check. So there's certain crimes, for, or if you're, you know, robbed three banks, uh, if you're trying to get a job in the financial industry, that's probably not the greatest thing. And so I think there is a right for the public to know. But ultimately, uh, David, I think what this shows is kind of the lack of direction that we've had in New York State about trying to solve some of the crime uh, problems. And instead of maybe pushing back and instituting um, laws that uh, penalize criminals and protect the victims, we seem to be going in the opposite direction. And, you know, my mind would uh, policies like bail reform and raise the age and, as I said, the anti-police narrative. As a result, I think we've seen crime rates uh, go up. And not one is responsible for the increase in crime, but you take it all as a whole, uh, I think it, it has resulted in increased crime. And this clean slate just seems to be continuing going down that path. Another area I wanted to get your opinion on, Will Barclay, Minority Leader of the State Assembly, is the housing proposals. There were dueling ones. One came much before the other. It was Governor Hochul's housing plan. She wanted 800,000 units. It ran into zoning law issues. It was knocked down in negotiations. And then at the very end of the session comes the Assembly and Senate with their own plan, and the governor and lawmakers are sort of pointing fingers back and forth at each other. The governor says she's still looking at all options. And, of course, I think everyone is in agreement that there's a housing crisis in New York. Where are you on all of this? Well, I guess I'm pleased that nothing came of either proposals. Uh, I don't disagree that we could do better at housing on the state, but I've always said to try to mandate, as the governor was doing, uh, certain housing built in certain locations, uh, I don't think is always the best policy. And then uh, the legislators' plans of, I think, good cause eviction and other policies where they give a lot of the um, power to the tenants and take uh, the legal abilities away from uh, landlords, I think it's also problematic. Ultimately, I believe we ought to be taking regulations away to encourage private development of housing. Uh, that's the best way to encourage more housing. We take some of the, you know, it's very hard to do any development in New York State um, because of regulatory zoning, et cetera, uh, concerns. And we should address those, some of them on the local level, but also some of the stuff on the state level to encourage more private development. That's New York State Republican Assembly Minority Leader, William Barclay. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The New York State Senate adjourned its session earlier this month after a marathon of late session votes. After the Senate ended its session, Dan Stack, a Republican from the 45th District, said it had ended with a flurry of bad bills. Stack tells the Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley that he gives the session a failing grade based on the budget. The budget's the lion's share of what we do, and unfortunately, like it is every year, a lot of policy was crammed into that. But the simple bottom line number of the budget, I think, is enough to give us a failing grade on. 
$229 billion. If you look at that number, $229 billion and what it represents, it's out of control. And we've had people fleeing the state, and they have been for the last several years. And this year's session between the budget and the other policies that were voted on, it'll only accelerate that exodus. And uh, that should be very concerning. You know, we've been telling them this is unsustainable year in and year out. The fact is, we are underwater financially in the state, and nothing we did in this session is going to improve that. You sent out the release saying that the legislative ended with a flurry of bad bills. Which ones are the bad ones, and just how bad are they from your perspective? Well, there's a few of them, but the two biggest issues facing New York State, we hear it in polling, we hear it from our constituents, is crime and affordability. The clean slate legislation, sealing felony conviction records for people that have been in prison that are now coming back into society, uh, they want to seal those so that potential employers, somebody that's hiring bank tellers, somebody that's hiring child care workers, they can't know the criminal history of, of, a, of a candidate. I don't think that's fair to those people. I don't think that's fair to future victims. I don't think it's fair to current victims. I don't think it's fair to the taxpayer. Literally on the floor in debate in the Senate, one of them defended this by saying it wasn't fair that these are the people that got caught and it wasn't fair to all the other people that do these crimes that never get caught. That's the rationale in the New York State Senate for sealing criminal conviction records. So the clean slate was one of the big ones. Um, one of the last bills we voted on was to give free health care to people that are here illegally. That's a monumental expense. Again, I think it goes to fairness. There's a lot of people are here legally, working hard, trying to make ends meet, paying for their health care if they can afford their health care. And we are, we voted in the state legislature to give it away to people that are here illegally. I, I think that that's, uh, again, an affordability issue, and it's a fairness issue. One of the other bills is the tinkering of elections law. Let me tell you a little secret. There are no election law changes happening in Albany that are there purely to make the process better, safer, easier, fairer. If it's getting pushed through the legislature in Albany under one party rule, it is to benefit one party, the party that's in power. And uh, I just think it'll drown out local issues, the differences in ideas. So it was a constant trickle this entire session that turned into a, a deluge right at the end of just bad ideas and more bad policy. They're doubling and tripling down on things that are driving New Yorkers out of the state. Dan Stack. Was there anything positive that came out of this legislative session? Well, it's impossible to spend $229 billion without there being some good being done with that money. You're throwing stuff against the barn wall. Some of it is going to be good. And so there are a lot of small victories, both in the district and around. Most of our legislation uh, is not controversial. I mean, we voted on over 1,600 bills in the Senate, maybe a hundred of them were, you know, significant and controversial. But, um, you know, there are little things, little victories, but as far as game changers or, or something that counterbalances this, I don't think so. But, um, you know, I had a few uh, of my own bills that went through. One that uh, I'm particularly pleased with is a statewide bill that addresses invasive species. I believe the governor will sign it. It's a small victory, but you know what? It, it'll make it easier for a future town that wants to fight Asian clam or zebra mussel or you, you name the invertebrate. Now, instead of needing special legislation, it'll be out loud under current law. Uh, most of my local legislation got through. I carried again successfully the constitutional amendment for Camp Gabriel's to allow selling that former prison facility. So many of our prison facilities around the state, in particular in the North Country, that have been closed, sit there unused, dilapidated. They become blights on their communities. 
The will has not been there to do anything with these properties, but in Camp Gabriel's case, we need a constitutional amendment in order to sell that. The things that I was carrying that I needed to work on, I got most of them done. So I'm pleased about that. But, you know, the big picture here, the size of the budget, what we're doing with affordability and crime, what we're doing with all the electrification and taking away gas appliances and forbidding any new construction to be powered by gas without having a good plan timeline that's achievable. I mean, my background, I'm, you know, educated at Clarkson. I'm, I've got a degree in engineering. I was in the Navy's nuclear power program. I know a little bit about electrical power generation and distribution. What they're trying to do, what the legislature is mandated in law is not feasible. It's not achievable, certainly not on the timeline that they've got. And it's going to be obscenely unaffordable. And I'm really concerned about that. We should be striving to be cleaner, but we've got to do it in a responsible way, which means it's got to be technically feasible and it's got to be affordable to the ratepayer. And the plan that they've been pushing through Albany is neither of those things. Republican Dan Steck served four terms in the Assembly. He is serving his second term in the state Senate. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Rapid electrification in New York State is causing a surge in power demand, according to a report from the New York Independent System Operator. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas has details. As renewable resources struggle to replace fossil fuels that are being phased out, the electric grid is coming under strain. Rich Dewey, president and CEO of the NYISO, says the report, Power Trends 2023, a balanced approach to a reliable grid, details the most important issues impacting reliability of the electric system during the grid in transition. The electric industry in New York State is undergoing a dramatic transformation, uh, largely driven by the climate legislation that was passed by New York State in 2019. The supply stack, which is historically based on fossil fuel-based generation, is largely being replaced by renewable supply based on wind, solar, and storage. Dewey says the transition is leading to lower reliability margins across the state, with New York City being the most affected area. We do anticipate that through the course of the operating day, there's going to be some risk of failures. And we try to make sure that we've got adequate backup supply ready so that we can manage that and not um, experience a disruption of power. Um, certainly, um, we work in close contact with other regions. And if there is a disruption uh, in one of our neighboring territories, we stand at the ready to help them out just like they could help us out. Power Trends 2023 notes that reliability margins are shrinking as electrification programs drive demand for electricity higher. This troubles Dewey. A lot of the natural gas facilities and the generators emit a lot of pollutants, and there's a lot of pressure to retire those. Many of them are located in communities that are very close to dense populations. Um, some of these communities are distressed communities, and there's a lot of pressure and drive to retire those facilities for the good of the people that live near them. We're very careful as we manage the electric grid and the reliability of the grid to make sure that we don't retire these plants prematurely and create a uh, power system disturbance. Dewey says the potential for delays in construction of new emission-free supplies and transmission 
higher than forecast demand, and extreme weather could threaten the reliability and resilience of the grid. That's our biggest challenge in operating the power grid. You know, uh, uh, the, the natural gas facilities uh, are very reliable, they're very flexible. So when the wind goes up, we can reduce the power output of the gas plants. When the wind dies down and we need to increase the power consumption of the gas plants, it's a very flexible resource. But we recognize the pollutants that get created when that happens. So we need to make sure that we've got adequate supply of, of new generation before we retire the assets that we, we depend on today to, to keep the lights on and keep the grid reliable. The report discusses the key clean energy policies impacting how electricity is produced, transmitted, and used in New York, including the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which requires an economy-wide approach to addressing climate change and decarbonization, and the state's so-called peaker rule, emissions regulations that impact approximately 3,300 megawatts of fossil fuel generation downstate. So one of the things that we've made a lot of progress on and we need to continue to work on is to build out that transmission infrastructure so that we can move the power from where it's going to be generated, meaning like offshore wind and a lot of the more rural areas within New York State, to be able to move that power to the load centers in the cities where it's going to be most needed. Dewey says despite the challenges... New York State remains committed to its renewable energy goals. There's a link to the report at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. A New York State agency might be moving to downtown Saranac Lake. The Adirondack Park Agency wants to renovate a historic building as part of its new headquarters. There's still a lot of details to be ironed out, and the APA wouldn't move for another few years. Reporting for the Legislative Gazette, North Country Public Radio's Emily Russell has more. For as long as the APA has existed, they've been in the same brown building, halfway between Saranac Lake and Lake Placid. The original structure was built with logs salvaged from a blowdown in the 1950s. There have been additions and renovations over the last 50 years, but APA Executive Director Barbara Rice says the building is not in great shape. There are gaps in the logs, which leads to loss of, you know, heat and energy problems. But we also have this lovely uh, situation where we have mice and insects and bats getting into the building. Rice says there's also rot in some of the logs, windows that don't fully shut, poor ventilation throughout. So a few years ago, New York State set aside $29 million for the APA to build a brand new energy efficient headquarters. Rice says it's taken time to find the right fit, but she thinks they've finally settled on a spot in Saranac Lake. It wasn't necessarily a pinpoint in time where it was like, ta-da. It was more like it evolved, and, and in talking through with the, the team here, um, it became the one property and location that really stood out to us. So I'm standing in downtown Saranac Lake, and I am in front of the property that the APA wants to move to. Right now there's a big three-story slate gray building here overlooking Lake Flower. It's really a kind of an iconic building in downtown Saranac Lake. It's known as the Paul Smith's Electric Light and Power Building. If you've been to Saranac Lake, you've probably seen it. It's that big boxy building with arched windows. It's almost 100 years old, and there's a little powerhouse right behind it for the Lake Flower Dam. Both buildings at 1 and 3 Main Street are owned by the village of Saranac Lake. The honest God truth is one and 
three main are, are beautiful historical landmarks that need a lot of work that the village really can't afford. That's Saranac Lake Mayor Jimmy Williams. He says he's excited about the APA potentially investing nearly $30 million into the property. To see that building completely restored, I think would be nice for the community and also removes a significant liability from our balance sheet. The details aren't certain. The APA still needs to inspect the building and its foundation. The lease agreement between the village and the APA also hasn't been ironed out. But the agency has already mocked up what the property could become. All right, so let let me just sort of walk you through mm-hmm. um, what this what this all looks like. Back at the APA's office in Raybrook, Barbara Rice brings out a few big poster boards that show the plans of what the place might look like. Okay, so this building is, you know, the historic building, the Paul Smith's electric light and power building. That is What the APA would do there is renovate the interior and add a stairwell and elevator to make it ADA compliant. They'd also upgrade the powerhouse behind it, potentially turning it into the agency's boardroom. That whole space would be more public-facing, serving as a kind of visitor interpretive center. Then Rice points to the new building that would be a bit behind and to the left of it. So the new construction will be along the Lake Street hillside, and that will be um, a three-story building with an attached garage, and that will be approximately 19,000 square feet. So in all, with the historic building in the front, the APA would have an office complex of about 28,000 square feet. That's a bit bigger than their current space. The APA has about 50 employees on staff. The agency would also build a 72-space parking lot, which could be used by the public on nights, weekends, and holidays. Rice says she's excited about being in a more central location. This gives us the opportunity to kind of come out of the shadows a little bit. And I mean that figuratively, we're, we're kind of pushed back here in Raybrook, not highly visible. If the agency moves to downtown Saranac Lake, they'd be in the heart of one of the park's most populated places. That's in line with one of the APA's missions, to push development into Hamlet areas, to concentrate it into a downtown, rather than contributing to a kind of sprawl that you can now see in Raybrook. Saranac Lake Mayor Jimmy Williams says he also thinks there could be a kind of generational impact for the village. I love the idea of young folks passing by that place and seeing a potential career opportunity. Keep kids in the area with an avenue that's not the school, the prison, or the hospital. There's still a lot of work left to do before this move is finalized. That includes within the APA, where some staff aren't thrilled about the agency leaving its longtime headquarters. There's a lot of history in that building and on that property. If the APA's move to downtown Saranac Lake is finalized, it likely wouldn't happen until 2026. That's North Country Public Radio's Emily Russell reporting. And that about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. Look for program number 2324. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.